Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Um, for those that were not here last time, uh, I do want to just share uh, Dr. Paz's bio. Uh, he did, uh, after graduating St. Mary's University with a biochem degree, and I don't know who does that, <laughs> not me, uh, went to Tufts University, later finished your clinical training at the University of Texas School of Dentistry in Houston, which is not San Antonio or Dallas, contrary to Chad's opinion earlier. <laughs> Um, Dr. Paz has authored and lectured across the United States on numerous topics, most especially obstructive sleep apnea and within the dental um, specialty. He serves as adjunct faculty at UT Health School of Dentistry in San Antonio. Educational committee for the AADSM is an acting consultant for two medical manufacturers and in San Antonio and Dallas, uh, he maintains a private practice that is limited to airway management and TMD. So treating thousands of patients to date, working on cases, doing great work. We want you guys to enjoy Dr. Paz tonight. I'll be the facilitator, bringing your questions to him. Uh, we've committed to answer all your questions tonight. So if you guys have 25 questions, we will answer them because we're actually here for you. But without further ado, Dr. Paz, let me hand it to you and uh, let's have some fun tonight. Hello, everybody. Um, we're coming to you from San Antonio. Tomorrow I'll depart to our practice in, uh, in Dallas. But I'm really excited about this particular uh, subject because, you know, it's important. And if you're just embarking on this journey, let me congratulate you because we need you. And what I mean by we need you the World Health Organization has identified um, almost a billion apnics. Okay, so who is in a better position that sees a physician, their patients most often uh, than us, right? Most of us see your patients at least twice a year, and we're in the mouth, and we're in a perfect uh, spot to be able to treat patients, especially with oral appliance um, therapy. So. A little bit uh, about myself. I do have a sleep-only practice, but honestly, I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous. If uh, you know, uh, I wish I could. <laughs> I would have started with a traditional dental practice for all the reasons that I just mentioned. So let's let's dive uh, right in. Uh, these two colorful characters right here are Richard Drake and Keith Thornton. Uh, Richard Drake, who's on the left. Uh, he co-founded Dental Sleep Solutions, pretty popular software, DS3. That colorful fellow in the, in the center, that's Dr. Keith Thornton. Uh, you've also maybe have heard of his appliance, which is called the TAP. Okay. So I credit these two fine gentlemen with my training and also credit the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. So I just want to be clear, you know, getting started with oral appliance therapy is this is a physician driven model, right? What do I mean by that? We need a prescription. We need a prescription. We need a letter of medical necessity. We have to receive that diagnosis. And then we receive a prescription. Essentially, we're filling the prescription from the physician to be able to treat obstructive sleep apnea, 
Okay. And technically we're just, we're co-managing the patient's condition. So these are pretty basic, um, you know, uh, Awaken to Sleep does a fantastic job of providing you with these letters to get started. They do a fantastic job of being able to get you down the path. And uh, frankly, this is a letter that we'll all um, that we'll all need. It can be a little bit overwhelming, but that's not that's not the point. You know, these types of courses that Awaken to Sleep puts on, they really decipher a lot of the ambiguity. They really do lead you down that uh, down that path. Okay, but I just want to be very clear: we can screen those patients in our own dental practice. We all should be screening those patients in our medical, in our dental practice because the American Dental Association mandated that we should be doing it as of 2018 under the House of Delegates, okay? But this is a, a pretty standard form. And again, the idea behind it is we need this form to be able to fill a, a, uh, a prescription for oral appliance therapy. Now we're uh, Mike and I were kind of laughing earlier about this this picture, and you may see it, and you may say, "What in the world is this guy talking about?" So this really determines um, it's going to help with our device selection, right? So there's lots of different appliances. You know, we'll kind of go through them. These are it here. There's many different reasons why these appliances are appropriate for certain cases. But this will kind of go a little bit further into the conversation as far as why am I looking at the patient's nose? Well, this is a simple procedure that you can do. And I have the patient block one nostril. I take a look at their, the patency of the internal and the external valve. And I do that. Why? Because if I'm hoping for the patient to be able to breathe through their nose, okay, then they can't be looking like A. And all the while, while you're doing your hygiene check, they've called you over, doctor, it's time for that periodic exam, or I'm evaluating the periodontal maintenance. You look at this individual on, you know, on the B snapshot, and they look pretty you know, it looks like just any regular normal nose until you have them breathe, okay? So I'd like for you to keep that in mind and I'd like for you to start viewing your patient in a different light, okay? Because again, this is important and we want to uh, promote nasal breathing, right? Remember, we're gonna start kind of venturing into the world of medicine. Um, as we discussed earlier, we are filling that prescription. We are co-managing the airway. And this is um, an article, and I think this is some really important reasons why we should have our patients breathe through their nose. Um, if anything, while your hygienist is doing a periodontal maintenance, or perhaps you are doing a whole bunch of fillings and the patient doesn't seem to be able to breathe through their nose. If anything, you can say, well, you know, it can decrease your heart rate, right? They probably won't appreciate that because they already think that we waterboard patients for a living. So uh, the biggest one though, it really does uh, reduce your sympathetic tone. So it kind of lowers your heart rate. 
I jokingly tell patients, you know, if you've ever taken some of these yoga classes or you've ever taken these, um, you know, Pilates, they always kind of want you to be centered. And one of the reasons or one of the ways they do that is to promote, to promote nasal uh, breathing. But um, humidifies and filters, you know, and there's uh, nitric uh, oxide uptake, which is, we know, is a vasodilator. Okay. Plus for us, it's going to help because now we'll kind of be able to do different appliances, right? If a patient is only able to breathe through their mouth, then that kind of limits the number of appliances that we can do. And as good doctors we, that we are, we want to make sure that patient selection and their input is also taken into consideration. Okay. So the appliances on the left of our screen, those are sort of the herps. And I'm agnostic to these appliances because I do them all and I've done them all and I continue to do them. Um, the herps, some patients, for example, if they sleep on their side, they won't like this little bar. Okay. Um, some patients are really not wanting to have metal for example. Um, the dorsal, some patients, if you kind of um, put the appliance in their mouth, this part can protrude a little bit, you know, from the, uh, from the anterior. So, so some patients just don't like that. Okay. These are the taps. In San Antonio, we have a really, really big military community. Some of our patients, um, they don't like that it may trigger a PTSD uh, episode, right? Um, sometimes the patients feel that they're not able to fully open their mouth. And I have had patients report they, they can drink water just fine and they have no problems with the tap, but that is kind of something that you want to be you want to be aware of, right? You want to make sure that the appliance that you put your patient into, the patient's going to be able to utilize it. Uh, as we know, I'm not here to knock CPAP, but that's one of the issues with CPAP. It is a fantastic form of therapy. The only issue is it's not working as well as we're hoping it to, right? So we don't want to want we don't want to follow that path. So device selection getting to know your patient are really, really important uh, things. So Dr. Paz, if you can go back uh, yes. to that slide real quick. Um, yes. So one, I'll make a comment about CPAP. Uh, that was a prior aspect of uh, my life for me in sleep medicine. I spent several years uh, working in the CPAP space. One of the unique things with CPAP is a lot of patients feel claustrophobic, like they can't breathe. Like somebody's putting a pillow on their face or an elephant sitting on their face. Like, I don't know how you relate to that. Uh, <laughs> but the, the idea is it's giving them more air, but it, it challenges them when they exhale. And I think similar to your comment about oral appliances, their airway hasn't been more open than what it is right there. But they feel, sometimes feel claustrophobic because of the sensation of not being able to open their mouth or, or certain things like that. So that's, that's things to navigate. Um, I do have two questions to ask you uh, yes. that we've already gotten so far. One is um, 
on, on the appliance side, uh, since you've done a lot of these cases to help the audience relate some newbies, some are just starting, some have been doing this for a while. Can you give us an example of something that you wouldn't recommend doing that you survived to tell the story about? <laughs> yes. Hopefully it doesn't include PTSD and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you wearing someone else's appliance. Oh boy. So, uh, you know, and this is, I'll, I'll use myself an example. This was appliance selection 101 where I clearly failed. So I had a patient. Um, I won't really say which appliance because it was my fault. Uh, she was an elderly w woman. And as I mentioned, I don't own a high speed handpiece. I don't own a slow speed handpiece. I own a lab handpiece, right? So I make an adjustment in the lab and I come back and I see the patient. So I locked uh, this appliance in the patient's mouth for three hours. Um, what that taught me, oh, sorry. And I had to transfer my lab handpiece from my lab to the operatory and cut it out with an acrylic burr. And as I mentioned, it took me three hours. It was lots of pieces. I do have a picture. I won't show you the picture because I'm quite <laughs> embarrassed. But the important thing is I started looking at certain things from the patient's anatomy that before I kind of would say, oh, yeah, no, that's not important. That's not important. So that was how, my embarrassment. How did that, what, what material locked them in like that? So uh, Thermacryl. Yeah. Got it. Thermacryl locked Got them it. in. And the thing is, it's not so much that it, it, it the thermocryl locked them in. Yeah, it's technique sensitive, so you have to be careful when you're placing and removing, placing and removing. It's like you have to find that draw, that perfect, not the perfect, but the right path of insertion. And unfortunately, I didn't. I left it uh, there too long. I probably was talking to the patient when I should have been. <laughs> Got it. Um, and then there was two, I think one, one or two slides ago with the nose, the pinched nose and the open nose. Yes. Um, the one right before this. This one? No, not the, the, the one right before that one. Where does the COVID test go? Just kidding. Oh, was that, that was a just kidding question that somebody <laughs> gave us. Sorry. That's fun. We, we can move on, man. I'll, I'll get out of your way. I apologize. Go ahead. Bring, bring us back to the golden nuggets. I was going to say, that'd be a tough one to, to do. Okay. So case selection, you know, don't be like Jeff. Uh, don't slam one in your patient's mouth for three hours and try to dig things out. So how can you not be like Jeff and do the right thing? So we have to evaluate the patient, right? And these things are important, maybe not so much the tonsils for now, but they can be important. And I say that because, you know, when you start integrating yourself into the medical community, uh, Awaken to Sleep has another platform where you're able to do that, which is fantastic. Then, for example, this patient or maybe this patient, the ones that are uh, plus three or plus four, they might be a good referral to an ENT. OK, so. Why does that matter? Well, perhaps now you can establish yourself a bi-directional referral base, right? And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's the reason why I wanted to include this. So you can kind of start thinking, you know, down the road, 
right? Um, the uvula is important. There's some patients, uh, I hate to say this, particularly our female patients, that they'll say, nope, nope, I don't snore. I don't do this. And I don't ever say snoring, by the way. I'm married. I'm happily married. I always say making sounds. I said, so do you ever make sounds? And they say, nope, nope, I don't do that. One key that you kind of want to look into of course, you can download an app, right? You can download like Snore Lab, and that's great. But one key is you look at the uvula, and I call that the boxing pair. I tell my patients, um, it appears that your, your uvula is a little bit red and a little bit inflamed. Why is that important? I say, well, it's kind of like if something isn't bolted down during a hurricane, it's going to kind of fly away and move. I said, and in your case, if there is any sounds and there's a struggle to breathe, that uvula, that boxing pair is going to kind of get tugged and I'll show them. And then when they look at that and then they kind of look at me and then they know that I know. And then usually they'll be like, OK, yes, I do make sounds. I do make sounds. So the position of the tongue, if we uh, focus our attention to the malampati score, for example, that one's going to be important as well because certain appliances allow certain movements of the tongue, right? Um, for example, if you wanted to have an anterior opening to one of these devices, okay? So if you have one of these devices and let's say you want to have an anterior opening, instead of it being closed just like so. Well, why would you wanna have an anterior opening? Maybe the patient won't feel comfortable, right? Uh, putting their tongue to the top of their palate. That's a really good place to train the patients to put the tongue up to the rugae, but maybe they can't. So your design would probably include an anterior opening. That way the tongue can kind of wiggle through like a snake, okay? Don't tell that to your patients. They don't like that either. But the point is, again, start looking at the anatomy of the patient, right? You start looking at the nose. You start looking at tonsils. You start looking at uvula. I, As we call that, we, you want to start looking at the airway architecture. And that way, you make sure you're able to offer the patient a an, an appliance that's going to work well for them, right? We already go through BMIs um, as dentists. We're already looking at jaws, right? We're looking at top jaws and lower jaws. If there's a posterior crossbite, um, we're looking at if the patient should wear a splint, for example, uh, a night guard. They have really big tori. Um, where, you know, one of the things about where is and, and, and GERD, I'm sure you guys know this already, but as you start going toward the posterior um, of the patient's teeth, right, you're doing your hygiene check, and they kind of look like they're eroded, right? We've all seen it. We all know what erosion looks like. Now, if you look at their medical history, and perhaps they, they say that they start snoring, or perhaps they say they have GERD right? They say, you know, doctor, I always have this, this acid reflux problem, but I take a Tums and I feel better. I take whatever and I feel better. You know, that should kind of get you thinking, right? Um, perhaps that obstructive sleep apnea, the contents from the stomach are coming up and they're kind of eroding the teeth. And some patients will say, well, no, you know, because I would taste that. Well, 
remember the the contents of the stomach are at, the pH is about two point one, so it's really acidic, right? So even a little bit of mist, okay, kind of like the gas. So even a little bit of mist from the contents can erode the back of our teeth. So that's that's kind of an interesting um, thing that you may that you may want to look at. Obviously, patients with a huge discrepancy between overbite, overjet, they're going to be prone to having obstructive sleep apnea, right? Because as I tell, not so much my San Antonio patients, because we got a lot of real estate in San Antonio, but my Dallas patients, I'll look at them and I'll tell them and I'll say, you know, you have a little bit of a real estate problem. They're like, what do you mean? I say, yep, your tongue's about average size but your jaws are a little bit smaller. So your tongue doesn't really have anywhere to go. So obviously with a patient being retrognathic, they may be more prone to having sleep apnea. And there's lots of great studies that, that show that. The, we discussed the large tonsils, um, the tongue. So the tongue, there's two things that I really like to look at the tongue, right? We go back to the melon potty. So not only the size of the tongue, but where does the tongue like to rest, okay? When you're looking at the airway architecture, when you're looking at the back of the throat and you're kind of like looking back there, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, I don't ever like to force the patient um, with, the, with the mirror. You know, I say, you know, take some nice deep breaths through your nose because you want to see the position of the tongue. So it's not only the size of the tongue that's important, but also the position. If the position is saying, yes, doctor, I am, you know, and my tongue is sitting way up above the occlusal plane, that's going to pose an issue. And we can get into that an another time, uh, specifically like during the rapid eye movement phase of the sleep cycle. Okay. But just kind of start looking at the landscape and just in your head say this person just doesn't have any space okay there's no there's no there's no room one of the things especially like our morning appointments if you look at the peripheral border of the tongue see this is kind of scalloped the periphery border is right it's kind of scalloped. And I, I jokingly tell my patients when I'm doing the exam for consultation, I'll say, we're well, kind of taking the, uh, the home remedy approach. And they look at me and they say, what? What do you mean the home remedy approach? I say, yeah, you're biting your tongue, okay? Because you're trying to keep it from blocking your airway. As I mentioned previously, you know, the sleep cycle, there's four stages. We cycle most people 90 to 110 minutes. One of those phases is really important because that's when the tongue gets really relaxed and it can block the airway. So instinctively, you, Mr. Martinez, are blocking, are, are biting your tongue. So that's kind of what I call the home remedy. And they, they kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've noticed that when I'm brushing my teeth or when I'm doing this. Okay, so it's relating, you know, dentistry to sleep, how important sleep is, but keep kind of keeping it in the uh, in the dental context, the for, for the patients, right, because you want them to be able to understand what you're talking about. Obviously, neck size, um, if you have patients with large necks, um, then that just places a little bit more of a burden on our airway, right? So it just things begin 
get a little bit heavier and things begin to collapse, especially let's say a patient says, well, that only happens to me when I'm laying down. All right. When I'm flat on my back, right? Well, it can be that the tongue sits at a pretty high or level three position, right? Coupled with a lot of fluid. You know, we all know from our physiology courses, when we're flat and at nighttime, we get a lot of fluid movement moving toward our, our lungs and our neck. So now if we have a big, if we have a larger neck and we have all this fluid, then that just puts more pressure on the uh, on the airway. So the likelihood of the patient having sleep apnea or having sleep issues does increase. And again, the nostril patency really quick. I just have the patient, you know, are you able to breathe okay through your nose? And if it's yes, yes. Uh, down the road, you can start looking as far as, you know, turbinates or uh, you know, polyps and these kinds of things. And again, that would be more of an approach to establish a bi-directional relationship with your ENT. But awakening to sleep kind of has that other module, which I certainly would encourage you to, to take. Okay, so you have a patient come in and, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to go. So most of us have scanners, right? Most of us know that the end result is for if you're doing an Invisalign case or you're, you're scanning, you're doing a full arch, you're going to have some models, right? So we know that we have to start, right? Capturing top, bottom, bottom, top, whatever it may be. But this is going to be kind of interesting because depending on what appliance you're going to select is going to kind of depend how much room you need here. For example, if we go to one of these appliances, and I hope you're able to appreciate this, where what we call the titration or the propulsion mechanism is here on the side, then it's going to make sense to us that we're going to need a little bit more room here, right? Because of the buckle, the buckle mucal fold, our cheek and our teeth, we want to make sure that we have enough room, okay? So this is, as we know, the end result. I just want to show you what the end result would look like, okay? So what's important here is the amount of clearance, right? If we have a patient that is not able to open very far and they're not able to uh, you know open very wide then we need to have an appliance that's a little bit thinner right so again if you go to these different appliances you know these materials though they're all about the same the way they're milled or the way they're fabricated some of them allow us to make the appliance a little bit thinner Okay, so we don't really want to necessarily open up the, the patient too much if they have a jaw joint issue or whatnot. Okay, so this is called the George gauge. Uh, the generic term is a horizontal sliding ruler. And essentially what this does is this gives us the clearance. This will allow us, do we have six millimeters of clearance? Do we have nine? Do we have 12? Most medical manufacturers or labs, they don't really like to be called labs. Most medical manufacturers, um, you'll need like five or six millimeters as far as uh, clearance because most of them, each arch needs to be at least two millimeters uh, thick, okay? So 
that's the most important thing. You want to make sure that you have enough clearance. And as we know, if there's a curve of speed or curve of Wilson discrepancy, that may not look like this, right? So one side, you may need uh, six millimeters of clearance. On the other side, you may, you may need eight millimeters of clearance. So these are things that are important that you certainly want to keep an eye on. But nevertheless, this is called the uh, George Gage horizontal sliding ruler, and that's going to be important. Um, that's also going to be important, okay, to measure the range of motion. So here is what we mean by the horizontal sliding ruler. So what I do, I place the horizontal, the George Gage in the patient's mouth, right? And I say, I'm going to have you place top and bottom jaw. You'll bite into this just gently. And I'm going to have you put your jaw forward, go back, forward, and back. I jokingly tell them, I say, you know, it's kind of like the bulldog effect. You'll go forward, you'll go back. And then I measure how far forward the patient can go and how far back they go. A really good question uh, is where do you start these patients? Generally speaking, speaking, I start them at half. So if they're able to go five forward, five back, I generally will start them at zero. Okay. So one of the things that you definitely want to look at is your midline, right? Because this appliance, for example, may not be as forgiving as this appliance or as this appliance when it comes to the midline. And we're dentists, we love to look at patients' midlines, we like to make sure that things line up. But remember, just because you have an end-to-end -end or a centric occlusion, right, uh, midline, it doesn't mean that when you protrude, your midline's not gonna change. We've all seen it, we can get into jaw joint conversations, we can get into articular eminence conversations, but we know if there's a deviation or a deflection, then that's going to also influence which propulsion mechanism we will choose, right? Because some of them, and awaken uh, to sleep doctors are great at explaining this, they'll tell you there's different cases where you may want to use this case, or this type of appliance or that type of appliance, depending on the, the, if there's a deviation or a deflection. We've kind of already talked about sun size uh, and position. Again, you may have a patient, for example, that is a, a, a grinder. They have bruxism. Um, okay, we've all done this. We look at the teeth. Patient maybe says, you know, the deep belly, the masseter is really fired up. Well, we're going to get you into uh, a night guard, right? We want to protect those teeth, especially if you've done some nice veneers and you say, yep, yep, uh, these are all porcelain. Um, if, you know, it's important that we protect you from grinding this porcelain off at night. You're also trying to, you know, save your skin because you don't want them popping those veneers off at night, right? So, What's important to keep in mind is that patient maybe needs a sleep study, right? Maybe that clenching and that grinding is because there's uh, th there's an airway issue, okay? So you say, well, how am I going to incorporate 
something that's going to help the the jaw joint issue, the TMJ issue, and the sleep. Well, that's kind of where you'll go down your checklist. You can incorporate an anterior discluding element into these designs and these designs. This one, frankly, the tap, uh, the one out here, the unilateral propulsion mechanism, the unilateral traction uh, mechanism. This one, what it does is it allows you to kind of function like you have an anterior discluding element already because the forces are placed in the front, okay? Some of our patients will be resistant because they'll say, well, you know, I don't really understand um, how is this going to keep me from um, grinding my teeth? And just kind of humor me with the story. I tell my patients, I say, okay, I'm going to describe to you the crouton effect. And I'll say, all right, this guy's got a lot of good stories. Not really, but he's got a lot of stories of my patients looking at me. They say, if you were to grab a crouton, whether you like him or not, and you place that crouton in the back of your mouth, you just kind of bite it, right? You just kind of like chew. They say, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you were to grab that same crouton and you were to place it on your front teeth, what, what do you think you would do? And they, they always have that same look. They're like, and I say, you stop and you think about it, right? They say, yeah. They said, the reason that you do instinctively, your body is telling you, don't bite that crouton with your front teeth because you're not supposed to. So we kind of deprogram some of your muscles in dental school. We all would do a leaf gauge and all kinds of things. Well, that's kind of what we're doing. We're subconsciously, hopefully deprogramming our patient's muscles from firing, okay, um, by placing that anterior discluding element. And that is very, very helpful for patients that may have some uh, jaw joint issues, TMJ symptoms, these kinds of things, okay? So the moral of the story is make sure that you do notice the patient opening and closing, and you do take a look at the midline. And, you know, clicking and, and popping whatever TMD protocol you may have, I would say, you know, to certainly utilize it. I'm a big uh, proponent of physical therapy, okay? I like for my patients to do physical therapy for about 40 seconds every day. And, of course, I also get them on a morning occlusal guide or an AM aligner. And all that does is that allows the patient to kind of, you know, they empower their own, th themselves with their form of therapy. They're treating their airway, they're managing their airway at night with the oral appliance. And then during the day, you know, they're, they're, they're making sure that that jaw relation uh, remains stable or as stable as possible. Okay. So, so Jeff, quick, quick yeah. question for you here. And Please. The perfect segue without you realizing it. Um, we had somebody ask um, specifically about TMD. So um, I'll summarize it. GP, not a TMD specialist, treating sleep cases and just getting into it. So the question is, what things would you see like signs and symptoms that would be a red flag? And when would you refer someone to a TMD specialist versus treat yourself when you're just a GP and not the TMD specialist? I know you do both, but if you could kind of be the guiding light on that, what clicking, popping, things like that are within normal range and acceptable versus, oh, I'd really refer this one out. 
I would say when you start getting into crepitus, um, you know, that that gravelly sound when you when you put your finger on the condyle, that's when I would say you may want to consider referring. But those are very unique cases. I would say the vast majority, I would say get them um, uh, on an oral appliance, put a anterior discluding elements, and you'll you'll see, you'll notice that you're going to make a huge, huge difference. Another thing that I do, I just coach them what to do during the day. And all I, it's easy. I just say, put your tongue in the roof of your mouth on the rugae, okay, and breathe through your nose. That's going to help you watch your posture, and that's going to keep you when you're on the keyboard not doing this all day. Believe it or not, that like eight out of my 10 cases, I manage them just like that. I don't, I'm not a big believer in drugs. I'm not a big believer in doing all this kind of surgery. I mean, there's cases for that, but eight out of 10, I do exactly as I just mentioned. And I think all the GPs should be, should be doing that, in my opinion. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Stan asked, uh, what's your 40-second physical therapy routine? Oh, <laughs> all right. So um, I tell my patients, don't do this. So I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Most days, I don't have time to comb my hair. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but I tell my patients, do this. When you get to your workstation, all you have to do is grab the lower jaw and push, not toward your eye or toward your neck, but toward your ear. Okay? I said, you're going to notice that that condyle, that little ball is going to kind of go back into that place. I said, that's all you need to do. At the same time, what you do is you stretch um, the masseters. I don't tell them, yeah, you stretch these muscles and that really helps. And that's what I, I jokingly call it yoga for the face. I said, but don't do it in the morning because you're going to try to get your kids ready to school. You're trying to get to work. I said, and if all else fails, if you're white knuckling like the rest of us, then when you're sitting there in traffic with one hand, you can place the weight of your head forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that also does it. And you'll notice, you'll notice that that's going to help stretch uh, that, that muscle, those muscles of masticate. Yeah. And maybe wait to tell your spouse that that's your morning PT routine because on a bad morning, they might just, you know, help you out a little bit. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'll, I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for answering those two questions. No, absolutely. Um, so, yes, this is this is a goal. Um, again, there is a minimum clearance depending on, on the appliance, right? Appliance selection is important. Midline is kind of important because the different appliances, they move in different ways. But ultimately, this is the goal, right? Now, this is my approach is a little bit different, okay? Because yes, we'll call it a mouthpiece and yes, we'll do this. But remember, we are trying to get patients to accept their treatment. So I do get a little bit, uh, a little bit fancy in my classification and what I when I'm speaking to the patients because why I want them to know that this is different from a mouth guard uh, that they're using to keep their teeth from grinding. Okay, so I do say I you know I say the oral appliance or they say the mouthpiece that's fine, but I I do say this is an FDA class two device, right? 
So it's going to take about three to four weeks to come back from the medical manufacturer. Okay. When I'm having this initial screening with the patient, I tell them, you know, this is, this is what you're going to expect. This is what you will feel like. Why? Because I want them to be able to use that appliance. Because if they are using that appliance, they may surprise their physician and they may say, listen, this is what my dentist did for me. And I'll just save you the suspense. About 80% of primary care physicians don't do anything with sleep. Okay. So now maybe you can kind of posture yourself in a, in a, in a, in a, in the medical community as saying, okay, well, at least this individual is screening for sleep. Okay. So, and also think of questions and this is the way I say it. I say, you know, generally patients have these questions and when you kind of take that preemptive uh, approach, it gives you that confidence, right? But it also instills that doctor-patient relationship in your patient. And they'll start saying like, okay, wow, you know, uh, Dr. Smith, not only is she great at veneers, but, you know, she's like going into, into my overall health now, right? So that's kind of an important um, thing to, you know, you think of questions and you say, yeah, this is what most patients will ask, okay? As far as caring for this thing, I like to keep it really simple. I take my oral appliance. I have my patients take their oral appliance. They can take soap, uh, dish soap, you know, liquid soap, whatever. And I have them brush it, you know, lather their, their, their appliance up. Uh, they brush it with the toothpaste that has no toothpaste. They rinse it under the, under the sink and they place it on their, um, um, what do you call it? On their kitchen, not, not kitchen, uh, you know, bathroom, um, whatever. Sorry. I just, my, uh, my, my mind just left me, but um, I, I like to keep it that simple. Now there's recommendations. You can dip in a denture solution for like five minutes, once a week, you can do all those things, but then just understand now you're kind of going into the world of CPAP with all these kinds of cleaners and all these kinds of hoses and all this extra care. In my opinion, the easiest way, you know, keep it very, very simple for sleep patients because they, a lot of them, if they're coming from the world of CPAP, that's the reason why they've left the world of CPAP. It's just too it's just kind of too complicated, okay? So, the, you know, they may ask you, how long does it take? Um, you know, they may ask you, well, when, like, how long do, do these last? And I kind of always put it back on the patient, but I say generally about three to five years. But it kind of depends how, um, if you're, I call them, if you're a heavy lifter or not, you know, do you frequently clinch or you frequently grind, then you may be more on the three-year range. And if you're, you're not, then you're probably closer to the five-year range. So that's kind of the realm that I give them, right? And then the, the, the reason I incorporate physical therapy, the, the 40 seconds, as I mentioned, because I really want them to own their disorder. This is a breathing disorder, and I want them to own it, right? I'm helping them own their disorder. But at the end of the day, I want them to say, I can, I can heal myself. I can treat myself. 
right? By just doing this, this 40 seconds of physical therapy, I can wear this appliance, this appliance is going to help me. And why, you know, that, that's the reason why I want them to do it. Um, I like to tell my patients, it's reasonable for them to experience discomfort, achy teeth, jaw joint, muscle for about three days. Okay. I say, you can take ibuprofen, you can take Tylenol up to three days, completely expecting it. And why do I say that? Because I don't want the patient to be calling me the next day and say, oh, this just doesn't work. You know, that's not true. That's not true. Well, an extreme case, an extreme scenario, you well, I use, right? But I, I see a lot of patients is I say, remember with your CPAP, that's, there's a reason why you had so many follow-up appointments for respiratory therapists, blah, blah, blah. There was so much support for you, okay? And you still weren't able to use a CPAP. So I kind of serve as a support for the patient, right? So I tell them beforehand, this is all completely reasonable. One of the best pieces of advice that I give the patient, I tell them, okay, so tonight, so Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, I want you to place the appliance in your mouth one hour before you go to bed. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I say, place it in your mouth one hour before you go to bed, right? Not when you're wrestling with your kids, trying to put them to bed, when you're ready to go to bed, okay? And drink some water. And they're like, how am I supposed to drink? I said, okay, if you use certain appliances, you can just use a straw. And I say, the reason you want to do that is because you want to make sure that you're going to train your tongue where to go. That's a little trick for you because you're trying to get them to do nasal breathing at the same time, right? So I tell them what you're going to do now with your tongue is your tongue is going to scoop the water. So you're going to produce a lot of saliva, right? Us doctors, what we know, we don't want them to remove the appliance in the middle of the night at three in the morning because there's saliva everywhere, or they feel like they're choking on this, all the saliva because they don't know where their tongue should go. Okay. I don't want that. So that's why I tell my patients, you'll scoop the, the uh, saliva or, or, or water an hour before you go to bed. And I always tell them, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you would take medicine that you really didn't like the taste of. It was like that. The reason that is because we're going to lose the ability to generate a lot of negative pressure because we've got a big old piece of plastic in our mouth. Right. So those those are little ticks, uh, uh, trips, tips and tricks that, you know, you can pick up and they're definitely helpful. Again, all in we're wanting our patient to own uh, their disorder. Let me get into the questions because we do have uh, several and I have a feeling we're going to we're going to go past six o'clock. Um, Jeff, let me uh, start here. So uh, this one says, I'm new to dental sleep medicine. What is the easiest way to get started with patients? Uh, and I, let, let's say I'm assuming this because it's not in the question. Uh, let's say this is a general dentist in their own practice. How, what's the easiest place to start? 
I would say I'm jealous of you because you already have a patient pool. You already have a relationship with these patients. So you can start screening your own patients. Um, honestly, these courses that are given by Awaken to Sleep, they're a very straightforward approach. They're comprehensive, but they break it down to, you know, at, at a very at a very reasonable uh, uh, fee. One thing you do want to keep in mind is there's training that you can undergo, but your staff is also important. So I would say make sure that your staff is on board because you don't want to travel down this path and you look back and um, nobody's with you. So I would say you can start screening patients in your own practice. I, I like that analogy. You don't want to run down the path and realize that nobody's behind you. Yeah, like, uh, let's go. <laughs> that, that was actually... Um, I, I did have a question come in. It was the, one of the last ones, but I'll answer it now. They said, um, is the course going to be hands-on clinical? If not, does Awaken to Sleep offer a hands-on course? The answer is this course that we have the slide for here, this is team learning and action plan. So it's mostly focused on workflows, appliance selection, all of the building blocks that you need for your system. It is not hands-on clinical. We do have a separate hands-on clinical course that we are going to start publishing dates in the next week or so online. Um, so you guys can check out the website for that under our events page. So those are two separate things. Um, okay, we got that one. Uh, Simon asked, uh, do you look for nocturnal sweating around the neck or nocturia as uh, symptoms from patients in screening them for apnea? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we briefly touched uh, fluid, you know, fluid buildup. A lot of times when we change that, when there's that change of uh, intrathoracic pressure, you know, if you think about it, you go from like minus five to minus 15 atmospheres. So a lot of times there isn't anywhere that fluid goes, but having the need to, to use the restroom. So, yes, that is one of the, uh, the things that we look for as well. Good point. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Let, let's go back to impressions, uh, digital versus analog. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll translate the question. What do you do different in an analog workflow versus digital? Um, can you use the George gauge for both? Um, yes, you can. Uh, yes, you can. You know, your analog impression, when you send it to the medical manufacturer, they're going to convert it into a digital version for you. So there really isn't anything if that's look at the end of the day, I think it's great that you're wanting to treat sleep patients. So at the end of the day, if that's what's going to take to get you into that landscape, then fantastic. You know, you don't have to do anything different. Um, you take a top and bottom impression. You use uh, the George gauge. There, there is no difference. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, uh, just like, oh, okay. So uh, this one will kind of tag the George gauge a little bit. Um, when, if ever, does vertical come in um, into effect for your bite? So do you capture vertical? Are you doing that initially? How, how does all of that work? And so I, I kind of do a twofer. Um, I do, I, and, and, and for me, I look at the tongue. I look at the size of the tongue and the position of the tongue. So um, some of these, it's George Gage, right? But there's, uh, 
the horizontal sliding rulers, there's different ones and they'll come with the six, a nine and a 12. So I'll just have an idea and let's say I'll take the six millimeter opening and I'll put it, I'll put it in the patient's mouth and I'll have them bite kind of like the NTI with the anterior discluding yeah. component. And I'll just look and I'll see, do I have the clearance do I need? If I have the clearance that I need, then that's the vertical that I'll use. And then I'll have the patient go forward and back, forward and back. If it's not, then I'll try the nine and then so okay. forth. Is that the airway, the airway metrics jigs that you're talking about? This, um, the bite gauges that go up? No, um, like the pro gauge, uh, the pro, mm. the pro gauge, um, and most, most of the, you know, most of the, uh, uh horizontal sign rulers come with them. Got it. Okay. Um, so this one is from John, uh, we're ready to order our first device, but he had a couple of questions. Uh, he's ordering an Avant specifically. Um, he says, uh, it indicates that the following options can be selected on the order form. Uh, distal wrap requires five millimeter open bite to your point instead of three, uh, anterior breathing hole and anterior discluding element. I know you mentioned some of those as you were explaining through the slides. Could you just kind of recap? When would you use each of those things, distal wrap, anterior breathing hole, and anterior discluder? When would you use those? Yeah, that's that's really important, right? Because we do know that we're going to get a little bit of tooth movement with the oral appliances. So we'll, we'll need to address that. Distal wrap uh, reduces the likelihood of tooth movement, okay? So number one. The anterior opening, if you have a patient that just has a large tongue, for example, or you have a patient that feels like they're a little bit claustrophobic, you may want to get that anterior opening on the appliance, okay? The anterior discluding element, if you have a patient that's a heavy bruxure, because they've, they, I've had patients break these appliances. I've had patients break all of those appliances, right? So if you know that they're, as I consider them, the heavy lifters, you may want to consider getting them into a, a anterior discluding element. Got it. Cool. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh, quick one. Uh, is there a simple list of steps for the records appointment? Aha! I'm glad somebody asked. Yes, I forgot to mention our free giveaway. Um, tonight we have, uh, that will, tonight, whenever the email goes out with your CE certificate, you guys will get this. Uh, so make sure if you don't get an email from Awaken to Sleep with your CE certificate and all of that, um, this is gonna be in there. It's your uh, records appointment checklist. So what Dr. Paz went over tonight, we've summed it up in very short wording right next to a checkbox just as a reminder of what things need to happen in that records appointment. Uh, we wanna keep things simple. Your team is gonna be way far behind you on the path if we complicate the junk out of it. It's gotta be simple and repeatable. And this, guys, this isn't, as you can hear tonight, this is not the hardest part of treating sleep. Uh, Dr. Paz, that, that was kind of my closing question for you, but uh, I'll, I'll say this, it, this is the simplest part of treating sleep, the soft skills and communication, your team doing the work together, all of the workflow, that aspect. And then ultimately long-term, if you work with physicians outside of your practice, those are the heavy lifting, but not the clinical aspect. 
So that, that sounds pretty rich coming from a non-dentist. So let me hand it to the star for tonight, who is a dentist who's been treating thousands of patients. Would you agree with that? Would you change oh, that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's important, as I mentioned, you don't want to uh, blaze this path by yourself. You want to make sure that your team is behind you. Um, at the end of the day, you're making an impression and you're, you're, you're placing the patient on an oral appliance. It's the encouragement. It's the communication. It's all the other things that really make the difference between having a successful practice um, and not, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we do have a couple more questions here. Um, before I go to those, uh, for those of you guys that are still here, uh, we did put the chat. We put the chat in the link. We put the link to your CEs <laughs> in the chat. So if you want to click that, please do. Uh, there's a link to your CE uh, quiz for that certificate. There's a link to the course offer in case your QR code thingamabob on your iPhone doesn't work. And um, there's also a link if you want to schedule a call with a coach. So all three of those are in there. Click the right one for what you want to do. We'll leave it in there until we're done tonight. Um, we'll, we'll finish up these last couple of questions here and uh, get you all on your way. Um, so the next one, um, actually, it, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so Mike asked, does the letter of medical necessity come with the HST interpretation? And how much does that cost? Um, I'll, if you're okay with, it, I'll go ahead and take that since sure, we please do, please do this. Uh, the answer is yes. With every interpretation that awaken to sleep performs, our sleep physicians are giving that letter of medical necessity. Uh, so that part is done. Um, the cost of that is $79 per inter. And we do it just on a, as, as you use the service basis, um, we can do it with all home sleep test devices. Uh, I don't think we've met one that we can't do. So uh, if, you, if you think you might have the one, ask us, schedule a call with the coach, but we can help out with that if you'd like. Um, okay, last one uh, that has nothing to do with our topic, but it is always asked, uh, how do I get paid? Should I bill in network? Should I bill out a network? Um, and then Stan hopped in here and said, do you have a billing service? Um, so I'll let you answer that one and then I'll answer Stan's question here in just a second. Okay. Um, I would say it really depends on your community, really depends on your demographic. If you already have a patient pool, I would say kind of go with the path of least resistance. You know, you already have that relationship with your patient. I think initially out of network would be a, a, a wise idea. And then perhaps as you establish that reputation, as you kind of establish your presence in this new space, then perhaps you can venture into the, uh, the, the in-network medical model would be my opinion. Yeah. I, I would echo that. And the only uh, pieces I would add to it is understand, like Dr. Pazza said, your demographic, but also understand what your end goal is, at least for today. If you're in a flourishing 10, 20, 30 year general dentistry office and you sell three or four thousand, five thousand dollar implants, five or six thousand dollar clear liner cases every day you should probably consider starting fee-for-service. Yep. If you're going to sell an appliance for less than that, and those soft skills and the team training that I just talked about are going to be the thing that propels this. 
Yep. If you're in a scratch practice and you're looking at maybe doing this like Dr. Paz does full time and really moving into the medical industry, you got to take a really hard look at insurance and looking at how to make it possibly as an in-network provider that mirrors those doctors that you're going to try to become a part of their community. So your end goal and where you start are going to be the two things that should really dictate that. But uh, we're, we're famous for saying that medical insurance billing is what kills sleep practices. That's a little tongue in cheek because we have plenty of clients that are billing medical and doing it well. That said, don't do that before you learn how to do sleep. Treating people is what's going to heal them, help them be basically be the thing that they need to get good sleep. So do that part first and know how to do that and decide how you're going to do billing, charging, all of that stuff. Uh, we're happy to answer any of those questions, but that, that would be my, I'll put the lipstick on, <laughs> you know, what, you know, what you just said, which was really the meat of it. Um, all right. Is that, that's it. We did it. All right. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for having me tonight. It's, it's a real treat. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Paz, do you want, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Stan. I didn't forget you. I kind of did, but I'm not going to forget you right now. Uh, do you have a billing service? Uh, Awaken to Sleep does not do third-party billing. That being said, uh, we do have a, a partner that does that. Um, we'd be happy to refer them or refer you to them for that service. Uh, we don't do it in-house, but we can definitely facilitate that connection. Uh, thanks, Stan, for the patience. Uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, parting words for the folks tonight before we uh, we jet out of here? No, just, uh, you know, do it. Do it. You have the patience. They need you. Uh, and they're really, really going to appreciate because you'll, 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 you'll change your lives. You really will. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, you guys go out there and get it done. There's lots of, lots of folks out there uh, like us to help you. We're one of many and or two of many, I should say. And uh, yeah, if we can be of service, let us know. Otherwise, uh, have a great night and uh, go out there and help some folks. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakentosleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken number two sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.